Welcome to the Author Shenanigans Podcast, where we are deep diving into the minds of our favorite authors to figure out how in the world do they do what they do and write these books that keep us up into the early hours, hanging on to their every word. This is your host, Sarah Hickner, avid reader, podcaster, and author in process. I wanted to create a podcast that could connect readers to their next favorite author. To find a list of our past guests and links to their books, check out authorshenaniganspodcast.com. Now, without further ado, here is our next author interview. Today, we have author Melanie Jeske on the show. Melanie just released a book. Uh, Melanie, how many books have you released? Which, what number is this? Uh, this is the fourth. The fourth book. I'm so impressed. So just released her fourth book, um, Julian Dare, A Modern Retelling of Jane Eyre. Did I say it right? Okay. I'm like, I'm giving away how I don't really read the classics when I can't say her name right. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Melanie. I am super excited to have you on the show. You came highly recommended by someone that I love who is your daughter. Um, and so I'm really excited to chat and get to know you better. Will you just introduce yourself to the listeners so they know who we're talking to? Okay. So I am the mother of nine children and a grandmother of too many to count at this point. <laughs> and I, uh, uh, in my spare time, actually, I'm an adjunct professor of English, uh, English literature at Patrick Henry College right now. I've taught at Marymount and uh, uh, Northern Virginia Community College. And I write when I find the time, which isn't, hasn't been so much lately, but uh, anyway, we'll talk about that later. So I'm a pastor's wife. My husband is a senior pastor of the King's Chapel in uh, Clifton, Virginia. And we are looking towards transitioning towards retirement, actually. So in the next few years. Wow. I'm trying to think of how many grandkids you could possibly have and what it's like to have a get together. With it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, they, it's crazy. Have you ever no. all had everyone together in the same place? Uh, yes, we have occasionally. So of the nine, we have three daughters and then six sons, and they were in that order. And right now we're up to 27 grandchildren. We just had our 27th and we have another one coming in December. So we're going to have even 14 uh, granddaughters, 14 grandsons. We try to get together at Thanksgiving and Sometimes everyone's in the area. Everyone lives in the area, except I have a son who lives in California and LA. He's trying to break into the film industry out there. He's a screenwriter, by the way. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you have so, two screenwriters in the family then? Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. Okay. So I'm just trying to imagine Thanksgiving. Do you have to like rent a facility or do you take over a whole restaurant? <laughs> Now, so far, we've been able to squeeze in one of our daughter's house. We used to squeeze in our house, and then we downsized to a condo, so I don't have to host anymore, haha. <laughs> and uh, and after Catherine has her big house built, maybe we'll we'll go over there. So it can be we invite uh, single people to join us, so it can be a little wild with up to forty people. Of course, last year it was a bummer because of COVID. So yeah. 
Yeah. I was just thinking I'm going to request to be adopted into your family because it sounds like so much fun. Um, I'm fun. not single though. It, I come with two kids and a husband. So <laughs> um, I don't know if, <laughs> if we qualify, but that sounds amazing. And I know, I mean, I know Catherine and she's amazing. So I imagine if all of your kids are like her, it must be the warmest, most amazing atmosphere. So, okay, well, we'll tell me, um, you obviously have a very literary background as an adjunct professor of literary, how do I say it, <laughs> of English literature? Yes. That was like the one class I dropped in college. <laughs> That's ironic, since you're I'm a reader. I'm so embarrassed to admit. So what happened was, it was an online class, and they assigned so much reading, and I'm a procrastinator, and like two weeks in, I was so far behind, I had no hope of catching up and I just had to drop it. Cause I was, I was either drop it or fail it. Cause I, I can't do all this reading. I didn't have time. <laughs> it, it can be intense. It can be a book a week. So it's, it can be intense. Wow. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> maybe I'll drop into your class one day and, and catch up on what I missed. Um, so tell us, uh, I always love to start with an author shenanigan. What is some kind of shenanigan you've done as an author or as a literature professor? Tell us. Well, I, I was trying to think about that question um, ahead of time. And the, the thing I, can, I thought of was I've attended a lot of C.S. Lewis conferences in Oxford and, and Cambridge. It's sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Foundation. That sort of kicked off me writing to start with. And I was very um, excited because C.S. Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham, was at one of the conferences. He's been at a couple, but at this particular one, he was standing outside after he had spoken in a little circle of people. And so I motioned to my son to try to get a picture of me standing behind him because I was too like intimidated to introduce myself and break into the circle. So I was trying to sneak behind him, you know, and kind of put my head up so I could get a picture with him. And he realized I was doing that. And, and it's like, what? You know, and he's like, you want a picture? Come here, take a picture. You know, and it was so nice, but it was really embarrassing. You know, my little head poking up, trying to get that picture. So yeah. That is he, amazing. He was very kind and very friendly. And I didn't have to go to those lengths. I could have just introduced myself yeah. in that picture as it turned out. I love that. I totally know how you, feel, how you feel though, because like people, when they're the popular famous person, they're surrounded by people and you don't want to bother them and just be another like person. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe they don't feel like talking to everybody or maybe they're hungry or whatever. And I just don't want to be like another person that's bugging them. So I, I love that you did that <laughs> and that he did that. And C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, if not my favorite author. So now you've just added something to my bucket list. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, do they still do them? Yes, yes. Actually, we've, I, and I have been going to them since with Catherine the first time. I went back in 1998 with Catherine and it opened this whole world for me uh, to begin writing. Catherine actually went to Madeline Lingle's workshop in 1998. I think as a fantasy fan, you would be a Madeline Lingle fan. I I don't know who Madeline is. Right, a wrinkle in time. Oh, yes, I definitely. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So um, 
and I was too chicken to go to her workshop. Catherine went and I was too chicken. But anyway, um, they do the conference every three years. And over the years, I've been a faculty member now and teaching on Jane Austen. And it, it opened up the whole writing thing for me. And then going back to school to get my master's after the kids were older so that I could be a, a teacher, a professor, whatever. Uh, so I give walking tours there, Inklings walking tours. And we had to miss the last two years because of COVID. So the next one will be next summer in Oxford, the end of July, beginning of August. Lord willing, you know, God willing. Yeah. Will you invite me? Can you remind me of this? I really yes. want to go. Yes. And the link's on my website too. So okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Under events. It's really okay. wonderful. And all of my kids have gotten to go with me over the years, except for one. Um, well, too kind of, but I've taken them all to Oxford. But anyway, most of them have gone with me and it's uh, wonderful. So my husband's hoping to go next year. Now that the kids are all grown, he's like, it's my turn. He'd stay yeah. home and take care of all the other ones while I went with them one at a time. So it was really fun. That's incredible. Okay, bucket list. Thank you for adding that. Cause I don't have a whole lot on my bucket list. So I'm up to like three things now. Um, okay, so I have, uh, one of your daughters wrote a book called Cicadas Don't Bug Me. And I'm just, so for listeners who don't know, Northern Virginia just had this like epic cicada invasion. Um, it was like the once every, is it 17 years or 18 years? And it literally showed up on weather maps. There were so many cicadas and you could walk outside. There are some parts of Northern Virginia where when you walked outside, it literally sounded like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. It was so loud and it came in waves and it was weird and it was painful to your ears. Where we lived, they just was like a steady hum until the sun went down and then and you would get dive bombed by cicadas and the kids were having a blast throwing them off the playground. And so I'm just curious, do cicadas bug you or not? Because... <laughs> me personally yeah you personally <laughs> since your daughter said cicadas don't bug me and wrote this amazing book I'm curious do they really bug you because most people couldn't handle it <laughs> no, I, I don't like cicadas but um thankfully and weirdly where I live down in Belmont Bay which is along the river we didn't get any <gasps> it's what? like the yeah, it's like the river kept them from coming over. So anyway, yeah, next time in 17 years, come stay with me. But Catherine, it's Catherine, her older sister. Kristen wrote the book and she dedicated it to Catherine because Catherine is freaked out totally by cicadas. So, <laughs> and she had been posting, you know, dreading them coming. And I mean, she, as a little girl, she would just scream and scream. She wouldn't go outside. So yeah, the book was dedicated to Catherine. That is so funny. When Catherine posted it on Facebook, I was like, oh, that is a genius marketing move that her sister did because our area, I mean, and people, all my friends in Mississippi were like, is it really as bad as they say? And like, anytime we had it pretty bad where we are, but I would go out to the barn 35 minutes away and there were no cicadas. So it was definitely like, right. In like County, yeah. Area. Yeah. <laughs> And so anytime you went outside, you would come back and have a clinger on. I mean, it just, it's kind of like, you know, with spiders and stuff, you always like jump and stuff. And with cicadas, you just learned like, yeah, he just landed on my head. I mean, he just wanted a ride. Um, my <laughs> next door neighbor said they're like drunk frat boys. Like they're, 
they're nice, but they don't really know where they're going or what they're doing. They're just like, hey, and yeah, they're, 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 they're funny. drunk. <laughs> they are funny creatures. They're yeah. kind of slow and stupid. So yes. And we have like a cicada skeleton in our attic that somehow made it into our house. Well, they're they made it everywhere. And we're just like leaving it. We're like, this is a memorial to the <laughs> to the cicada that made it. Cause he didn't just make it into the attic. He's like wedged underneath the edge of the like plywood or so. And, and we're like, cause you just never knew where the cicadas were gonna end up. Um, okay, so let's talk about your book, Jillian Dare, a modern retailing of Jane Eyre that I said correctly. Um, okay, so I'm going to read the synopsis real quick. It's a gripping romantic suspense inspired by the classic story of Jane Eyre. Jillian Dare yearns to belong. Orphaned as a child and shuffled from one foster family to another, she eagerly leaves her past behind and embarks on a new life as a nanny for the daughter of mysterious billionaire mogul Ethan Remington. Enthralled by the beauty of the countryside estate and her delightful young charge, Jillian finds herself increasingly drawn to her handsome and brooding employer. As her forbidden attraction to Ethan grows, Jillian is torn between his tender attentions and his guarded allusions to a dreadful secret. A visit to the Remington family castle unfolds an ominous series of events that threatens to unravel the happiness Jillian has always desired. Will Jillian find love and belonging with Ethan Remington or will his dark past destroy them both? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So, um, so you wrote this book. This is like a re-release, right? It is. It is. So I wrote it back. Well, it's been over a decade now and it came out uh, right during the recession when all the books failed. So, um, and then the whole book industry changed amazingly because of eBooks and uh, Kindle and Amazon and everything else. So um, it didn't get the hearing I hoped it would get, even though it was traditionally published. And so all of my books, unfortunately, are out of print. And then what happened was I was in I was in grad school when it came out. And then I started my academic career and didn't have time to write. So since all that time has passed, and my daughter, Kristen, who wrote the Cicada book, is working for Freiling Publishing as an editorial director now. So she's ghostwritten a lot of books. Uh, she's She does nonfiction now. Okay. Anyway, she's worked out a deal for me to get my books back out in print. And I'm very grateful for that. And hope to reach a new, younger audience. Now the daughters of my previous readers, you know, as they, as yeah. they grow up. So. Well, and I think, um, and this is kind of my next question, because this, the retelling of the classical fiction seems to be a really popular thing right now. Um, I've not, this is my first time to read one. In the very end of your book, you said that you figured there are going to be three types of readers that read this lovers of the classics, um, which my mom would be one of those, uh, lovers of romantic suspense, and then people who haven't even read Jane, Jane Eyre, which is me. I can't even say her name right. So, um, Honestly, like since I haven't read any of the classics since high school, when they were actually required reading, I am happy to report that I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Um, but I'm curious. So I've read a lot of 
I think this is because it's like a fantasy genre thing. I read a lot of fairy tale retellings, which are huge right now. Can you kind of explain to us if people are like me and they haven't read these classic retellings, like what kind of what makes it a classic retelling? Like, are you taking the exact same plot and just putting new characters in? Like kind of what is it? So, well, in my case, I, I just, I take the same storyline uh, pretty much. I try to stay to it very closely, but I just changed the setting in terms of making it more modern and also uh, moving it to Virginia to start with, uh, having it up here in Fauquier County. So um, just changing the setting and updating that and then how that looks. So it, it's um, the plot skeleton is there for you. It's a, it's a fun genre to write in. And I've read some of the retellings of fairy tales as well. So I enjoy them. Some people, like I said, are purists and they turn up their noses at retellings. But, you know, all authors are retellers. Shakespeare yeah. retold so many stories and none of them were original. Um, with him, he took all kinds of sources to retell stories. And there are many retellings of the King Arthur legend, for example. So it, it's, it's just, it's a common thing. It shouldn't be, I don't think people should be snobby about it. You know, like, oh, it's, it's how, how dare they touch that classic. I, I, got it, I got the idea because an, another author had written, her name is Deborah White Smith, and she uh, was at the same publishing house I was at originally with my Oxford Chronicles. And she had written a lot of Jane Austen retellings. She had taken each of Jane Austen's books and updated them. And I enjoyed them. I love Jane Austen. I'm a total Jane Austen freak. So I did, I just thought they were fun. And it was fun to see how she would work it out. Like you'd say, well, I wonder how she's going to do this. And then, so, so I found it a challenge and like a puzzle to figure it out, you know, how to update this and how to, to when I, I had to keep the Gothic element by moving it to the castle in England. So we get all the Gothic elements there. But um, anyway, I just find them fun. Yeah. So, I mean, like you were saying, everything is a retelling. I mean, I've heard, I remember taking theater class and they were like, I can't remember what the number is, but there's maybe 26 classic stories or something. And every story, every movie, every book, all of it is just basically a retelling of the same basic stories. So is that something that you teach in your literature class? Like that's why I don't, but it's a really good, and that's a screen writing thing that Catherine can teach on about the story yeah. arc, you know, the hero's quest, all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So they're basically these archetypes that we find in all of literature and, and they're just variations on them. So. Yeah. I actually, because of that, like I stopped reading, um, the backs of books. Like I don't read the synopsis before I read the book usually because I've read enough that they all sound the same. It's just different <laughs> names and characters. But what I know is that once I crack open the book, it's going to be a different story and it's going to reel me in differently. So I'm like, I just can't read the synopsis or else I won't even go there. Cause I'll think, Oh, I've already read this book. Um, so are there any places in this retelling where you kind of took liberties with the storyline or there like, where does it differentiate? And then what were some classic pieces that you were for sure had to hold to that you were not gonna release, if that makes sense? Well, in a way I don't want to spe 
be specific because then it gives away the mystery okay. and the suspense <laughs> of the story. But let's just say I stayed very close to the original. You know, the main thing I changed was that uh, Jane Eyre begins when she's a child and it gives the whole backstory of her growing up in this terrible school as an orphan and all this, you know, and being mistreated and abused. And I kind of telescoped that in and didn't address it. I start it when she's an adult and goes off to be the governess. I just felt that would just put a huge drag on the book and cut out, you know, I just wanted to get to the romantic suspense. Yeah. Part. So I really didn't address that except for one scene where she goes to visit her former um, guardian who had abused her. And that's in the book, that's in Jane Eyre, that where she has that reconciliation, she tries to reconcile with the mean, um, in the in Jane Eyre it's an aunt, but in my book it's a, it's a guardian, a foster parent. Yeah. So I, that's the only part of her childhood I kind of kept in there. Um, but the rest, fires, uh, you know, spooky dooky happenings, all of that is directly from Jane Eyre. So okay. accidents, whatever. <laughs> I, I actually bought Jane Eyre a couple months ago from the used bookstore. Oh, good. And well, so now I'm like, because I keep saying, I'm going to read the classics. I need to give them a try. So now I'm like, now I want to go back and read it and compare. Oh, good. Well, that was one of my main goals uh, in writing it was so that people would want to go back and read the original if they had it. Yeah, that's so, I've been talking to my mom about it and because she loves those classics. And um, yeah, so when I saw it at the used bookstore for like two dollars, I was like, yes, I'm going to try it. And I just haven't. I'm always like, my my reading list is so long of books that I want to get to and so I'm like I can't interview the author and so I keep getting pushed back um so what was the biggest challenge in writing this book so the biggest challenge was figuring out how to update it um how to put it in the modern time period and so I didn't, I, I, I had this, I had the plot, but I had to just figure it out as I went along. And there was one point in the book where I have the line that she's on her way to the castle where all the kind of spooky stuff's going to happen. And I had a line in it that said she had no idea what was in store for her at uh, Keswick Hall or whatever it's called. And I didn't have any idea what was in <laughs> store for her when I wrote that line. And so when I when I reread it, I just laughed because it's like, yeah, she has no clue. Yeah. And neither did I. So. <laughs> None of us know. <laughs> Figuring it out as we go. That's so funny. Um, did you rewrite any of the story when you relaunched it? Um, uh, some editing because I had some readers or friends point out some things that were an inconsistency or, you know, uh, just, just a few things. I just changed a few things. And um, one thing I did change was that I had, I had said the character, John, he's Sinjin and Jane Eyre, I, uh, I call him John. I had him originally, uh, he looks like a film star and I originally named the film star. And then by now, I was thinking some of the younger readers wouldn't even know whom that film star was anymore. So I just changed it to, he looked like a film star. 
Wait, can you tell us who the original film star was? <laughs> it was? It was Jude Law. It was Jude Law in his okay. young days with blonde hair, you know, and he was yeah. younger. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think some of this generation would not know because I haven't seen him in a while. Not that I really yeah. follow Hollywood and, stuff. And now he's a very mature man. So he plays, he doesn't play romantic leads anymore. Right. He's not playing the 20 year old anymore. No. <laughs> um, that's really funny. Is he, so I'm curious, is he like, when you were writing this book in 2008 or whenever you wrote it, was he like your Hollywood crush? Cause we all have one, right? No, he wasn't. I, I actually, I had um, for Mr. Rochester or Mr. Remington, I had Clive Owen in mind. Uh, you know, you try to visualize maybe an actor who can be the character and, and for, for um, John, the reason I pictured Jude Law was I actually pictured a guy I know who looked like him. Yeah. And that he just was a very handsome young man who looked like Jude Law. And so he's, I actually modeled him on him. <laughs> so that's why I picked him. This was back before Pinterest boards. I see a lot of authors now have Pinterest boards. And I love seeing um, I follow a lot of authors on Instagram and they'll post the Pinterest board of the inspiration behind their characters or the inspiration behind the world building or stuff like that. And it's so fun to like see it and, and to think like they probably have this like literally pinned up by their computer so that while they're writing, they're like the dark brown eyebrows or whatever, you know, and they're just like <laughs> referencing some random person they found on Pinterest. And I've done that with my other novels, but I, you know, that you've just inspired me. I need, I haven't done Pinterest in a while. I need to go back and do a board for Jillian Deere and maybe find some new younger actors <laughs> to play the roles yes. or whatever, <laughs> but, or, or find the older, the younger pictures of those actors and post them. So that would be a fun thing I should do. Yeah, you should. And then you can post it on your Facebook group. And if you have an email list, send it out to your email because I, people love to see that. And it's something, Pinterest is genius. And I, somehow, however they created the platform, like it sucks you in you want to look at it. It's not just like a random picture on a phone. So all these social media platforms have learned what makes our brains addicted, I guess. <laughs> um, so what is the one thing you really hope people take away from reading your stories? So um, a while back, there was a, a quote from Mel Gibson that I saw in a newspaper, and he talked about how good films or good stories do three things. They entertain, they educate, and they edify. And uh, that's really stuck with me. He didn't use the word edify, but he talked about going to a higher spiritual, you know, they touch your soul and your spirit, not just your mind and your emotions. So I hope my stories will do all three of those things. That's kind of my aim. And even when I give lectures, I, I try to think, okay, I want this to be interesting. I, I, you can also use eyes, like interesting, inspirational, informative. So there's educational, entertaining, and edifying. You yeah. use your eyes. So I, I just try to make my stories do that too. And, and just uh, touch hearts and give hope. Uh, I think that's a big, important thing, so. I love that. I love stories that give hope. Like that is my, if I read a book, let's, I just don't even go there normally. If I know a book isn't gonna give me hope, I'm probably not gonna read it. Um, 
I actually just read a book that I I have emailed the author and she's not responded yet, um, but it's by Kate Bowler and it is about a lady who, what's well, about her, it's her memoir. And she is in her, I think thirties and was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I usually will not read a book about people with cancer just because I can't go there. Like when, you know, when you have small kids, like the, anytime you have a strange pain, we're already like, is it cancer? So I can't read a book about it. Like, cause I just don't want my brain going in that place. And then she talks about, um, her faith a lot in the book. It's a, it's a strong theme. And so I, again, I often don't always read books unless it's recommended by a Christian that I know I won't read a book about faith, just because there's so many different directions things can go in. I, something told me to read this book and, um, you know, I believe like, I believe God like gave me a piece because normally I pull up a memoir and it says cancer and I'm like out. And I just felt this tug, read it. And I read this book and it was a really short read and I finished it. And, and, and the whole time I'm thinking, it's fine. She doesn't have cancer anymore. She wrote the book, you know, like it's, we don't like, if she had to write the book, she must be fine. So I don't have to worry. And we get to the end of the book and she still has cancer. She wrote it while battling it, but the whole theme just gave me such peace and hope. And it was incredible. And so I just love reading a book because it's, you know, when a book gives you hope, you keep something you come back to again and again, and you think about it as you're going through life and life is hard. And and when things you don't want to happen, happen, then it's having filled your brain and your heart with that can really keep you going. It's one of the things I've loved about reading. So thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, I always love to ask people, what is a book that changed your life and how did it change your life? Yeah, so that's a hard question. I mean, if we, if we, put aside the Bible and we're talking about just all other books uh, because I've read so many books and I've loved so many books. And, but thinking about it, I would probably say the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, because I actually didn't read them till I was probably 30 years old and had three little girls. My parents gave me the whole set and I, uh, to read to them. So I sat down one summer and read straight through all of them and was so captivated by them. And it began my whole journey into C.S. Lewis. I came to love his writing through his fiction and started with the children's fiction. That's remains my favorite of his writing are, is, are the Chronicles of Narnia. And the way they just um, gave glimpses of heaven and glory, but just entertaining, funny, scary stories. And just, I fell in love with Aslan. It just, it, it, uh, just, he just opened this whole world of creativity and everything else. So it's, he's, that um, inspired me to read more Lewis and learn more about Lewis. And then that led me to go to this Oxbridge conference um, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Foundation, which at that point in my life, I had the nine kids. I, my youngest was a, just coming out of preschool and 
Catherine was uh, just started at George Mason University, and then she went on and studied at Oxford the next year after this conference. So it just began my whole writing journey and my whole, um, but I, I just kind of attribute it back to, uh, if I have to have a book to choose of all the books I love, um, I think C.S. Lewis is what prompted me on my whole journey with writing and academics and everything else. So yeah, so the Oxford Chronicles, that original series is all set around C.S. Lewis and Tolkien at, in Oxford in the 1960s. And then I have the third one of that series is a prequel set in World War II at Lewis's home, The Kilns. And Lewis is at an actual character in that, in that book. So Okay, so the Oxford Chronicles, that's the other series that you wrote? Yeah, and so it, the plan is that next year it will be re-released. Uh, it's currently out of print and there are very few copies left. But next year, the goal is to re-release those books in ebook format and, and paperback as well. So that's, I'm really excited for this. Will you come back on the show? Yes, I'd love to. Back? I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Because um, the Chronicles of Narnia, I also would say is the book that changed oh, really? my life too. It's okay. that. And then like one other fiction book that just, it drew me back into reading and, um, but I, I love exactly what you're saying about the Chronicles of Narnia. It really has helped, helped give me like a, like a perspective and an understanding of what heaven is like. And I also love Aslan. Like I, I feel like I'm confessing this to my mom and I am in a way, cause she's going to listen to this, but like, if I ever get a tattoo, that's what I want is Aslan because it's like so much representation in that. I just love Aslan. Uh, anyway, it's such an incredible series. I feel like we're best friends now. Okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start sending each other Chronicles of Narnia stuff. Um, so I was going to ask you what got you started in writing, but you just answered that. It was... Yes. Well, actually, so the longer version of that is that as a, my name, Melanie, means ink in Greek or dark. It means dark, but ink. Yeah, And I was just like Catherine, um, my oldest, writing stories from a very young age. I wrote stories and invented. They were romances. I started passing them around to my classmates in the seventh grade. I wrote my first novel, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, then I go to college and I major in English. But my writing was like put on hold when I had the nine kids. So I only wrote a Christmas letter. That was my big writing project or I, I wrote in a journal some and I just wondered if that would ever be fulfilled and then it was after I went to the Oxbridge conference and my youngest was in kindergarten he wasn't a preschooler anymore I felt that release that now is the time to start writing so I originally started with travel articles and uh, local travel articles for the journal newspapers which is now I think the examiner and then I wrote for Rick Steves Travel Guide about Oxford. Um, but uh, it's a long story how the Oxford Chronicles came about, but that, that was the impetus was, I felt that was, a, I had reached a point in my life where I could start writing. And yeah, even though you think, how can you write with nine kids and homeschooling? Uh, yeah, I don't know how I did Oh my it. gosh, you were homeschooling? <laughs> Wait, I missed that. You were homeschooling nine I, kids? I, I homeschooled the boys. Um, up to high school and the girls some. Catherine was the only one that wasn't homeschooled. 
I was going to so, say, she sends her kids to school, right? Because usually yeah. they do what their parents yeah. did. I, she went to a private Christian school and then went to a public high school. They all went to the public high school in Vienna. So okay. yeah, we did all three. We did private homeschool, but the boys, I did homeschool because they just couldn't sit in a chair and they were so, be so bored sitting in a classroom. So yeah. we would get their work done and then they'd go pursue their interests, which were it, my one son, his interest was reading encyclopedias and he, he's a college <laughs> professor now. And one was making films you know and one was just playing with soccer balls and he was the ncaa champion so it's just they all pursued what they wanted and yeah. it was it was pretty laid back <laughs> it was very laid back so That's i did i had i had to do my writing at night after they were in bed so i would spend okay. my day folding laundry and imagining being in oxford with the next scene going on in my head while i was folding laundry and then once they were in bed i'd sit down and write it so that's how that happened back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that was, I, I wrote a book during COVID and that was what I, like at once the kids were in, cause then I was homeschooling. I only had two kids, which seems really like pee on next to nine, but you know, like you're all day, like distance learning and trying to maintain the house and keep the kindergartners computer going. And, um, and so it was like, once everyone went to bed, I, it was quiet and I could write for a couple hours. And then I would wake up just in time for school to start. Like it started at nine because I stayed up to like one. So I'd wake up just in time to um to get their computers turned on and make sure they had a shirt on for, <laughs> for class. Um, okay, so let's talk about how you pass the writing on to your daughter. So I you kind of mentioned it. I know of I know of Catherine and her older sister, and they've both had some major success in their writing careers. And so I want, I know like as a mom, the, the like best thing is to brag on your kids. So I want you to brag on them for a second and tell us the cool things that they've done and then impart some wisdom to us parents um, of littles so that we can figure out how to help our kids pursue their passion and be successful. Like you have created successful offspring. Well, uh, Catherine is, is my oldest and she, she did a lot of writing as a little kid. She'd write stories when computers were kind of new then. And she would write these stories about horses and, uh, things like that. But, uh, she got into screenwriting and she's had, uh, two films that she has written produced and one's called, uh, for the glory and one is called Touched by Grace, and they are available on Netflix or Prime or whatever. Um, so, but the, the, then she wrote this amazing screenplay about Harriet Tubman, and she actually won a major national prize. She won a couple of prizes, but she won this major prize that was like $50,000 and uh, a walk on the red carpet in Hollywood and everything. But sadly, other Harriet Tubman projects were in the works and um, she wasn't able to actually get that movie produced. So she's, she's also worked on some other screenplays, but she, she has, you know, she's got two films out there. So that's pretty successful. My second daughter, Kristen, like I said, is the editorial director for uh, Freiling Publishing, which is a fairly new, um, what they call hybrid companies. But She's been ghostwriting. She started ghostwriting. And then she wrote a very successful ghost 
writing book for someone who has sold thousands and thousands of copies, probably a hundred thousand copies. I don't know. You're not allowed to say who you are. I know, you know? it kills me. I want to know. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and then she, but her cicada book was her own book. So, so um, she's, she's had a success. And then our, our other son, Scott, is you know, and he's trying to break into Hollywood. So he's won some. He's he's gotten up there in some uh, contests. He's actually a filmmaker. He wants to direct, and he, for his bread and butter, he does um, marketing films for different companies and editing and that kind of thing. Yeah. But so you know, so far he's he's still he's still waiting for that big you know break. Yeah. In terms of his screenwriting, but I think the main thing was. Uh, I, you know, I said I let them kind of run with their imaginations. There was a lot of, we didn't watch TV when they were growing up. Um, we didn't get cable. And that was a conscious decision. Now streaming makes it really hard because everything's available by, by streaming. But we just kept the television off. And my husband said, uh, we either, our kids can either watch TV or be on TV. And a lot of them have been on TV. And because rather than, um, sitting in front of a screen all the time although I have to say they love movies and and we engendered that my mom would tape all these movies on the old videotapes you know all these classic uh -huh. films and Disney things you know so they grew up with a love of film but that was like a special treat you know like on on weekends kind of thing so the main thing was teaching loving loving to read um having them love to read and I read aloud to them uh as soon as they could pay attention we you know I read the Chronicles of Narnia to them Catherine and the girls I read Les Miserables by Victor Hugo to them we read all the all the classic children's books aloud and then just encouraged them they all love to read go big trips to the library come home with these stacks of books you know so any writer needs to read and so that I think is the main the main clue and yeah and just letting them play and use their imagination so they'd be out I, if, if we have time, I just, this was a kind of, I thought of this as an author, Shinda, and again, it's not really an author thing, it's a book thing. My kids are still nerds. They're, they, they're all nerdy and love fun stuff like this, but um, a few years ago, when Game of Thrones was a big thing, uh, one of my kids got a, they love board games, so one got a board game of Game of Thrones, and so he invited the whole family over to play. And then one of the brothers said, well, I think everyone should dress as different characters. And he kind of for fun named all of us as different characters. I was uh, Catelyn um, Stark. And so, oh, that's good. yeah, so everyone dressed up. Uh, not everyone. The guy who said, the brother who suggested everyone dress up didn't. He didn't think they'd take it seriously. Oh my gosh, come on. And the rest all came dressed in costume as their different characters. And they were so creative with what they came up with. It was it was just fun. You know, it's just this nerdy, nerdy adult kids having fun with the uh, but that's kind of literarily collect connected. Yeah. Really I mean, fun. it is because that movie was originally a book right yeah. not the movie the show series was a book yeah um, they watched a cleaned up version I don't know where they got it so. that's I we watched through like season four and then we had to stop because we were not getting the cleaned up version and I just was like okay this is not what needs to be going into my brain it is not clean <laughs> yeah. at all yeah. 
and yeah. we so we didn't finish the series but i um i have a bearded dragon and i have like all year i'm like maybe i should be mother of dragons for halloween even though i didn't finish the series but um because it's just so i just think it'd be really funny and that everyone would know who i was with my dragon on my shoulder okay that that's the interview i think i've asked all my questions i've had so much fun getting to know you and i hope that we are able to get back on with the generations because i know Catherine. i'd love to have her on being the successful screenwriter that she is and then her teenage daughter is getting published too she right has, she has a young adult fantasy series she started when she was an early teenager and has been revising it and yes so i think the first one comes out the end of this month okay so, I'm really, yeah. we're just going to have like a string of episodes. That is your whole family. <laughs> and then I want to get everyone on at the same time. Cause I love group chats. I just think it's so fun. And like the conversation just goes, I don't even have to have questions prepared. Um, but yeah, I loved getting to meet you, Catherine. And I totally hit it off over horses cause we ride, but then she also loves to write and she loves books. And so we, she's like the perfect friend for me. We have, um, cause we have both those loves in common and it's very rare. Cause when I'm at a party and I meet somebody or anywhere where I have to meet somebody, I'm like, do you love horses? No. Do you love books? No. Okay. I don't know what to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> so if someone that loves both then we're instantly best friends. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to interview. Congratulations on your book relaunching. And will you tell everybody where they can find the book? Yes, it is on Amazon. Uh, that's the main uh, purveyor of it right now, available either from Kindle or in paperback. And I think for a brief time, it's on Kindle Unlimited for free. So uh, oh. there's that if you belong to Kindle, Kindle Unlimited. I highly recommend Kindle Unlimited for people who read a lot. Like it saves me a lot of money. So it might be bad for me because I spend a lot of time reading and it doesn't cost me any extra, but <laughs> I recommend it. Um, so that's awesome. So we're gonna do a giveaway for an ebook, right? So that way it is open internationally. So no matter where you live, whether you're in the States or somewhere else, um, you can win and I'll do that on, I normally do it on Instagram. Do you have Instagram? No, <laughs> I have not been active on Instagram. Maybe I should up my account, huh? I do have an account. I how to do this. We <laughs> usually do either Instagram or on, um, I can't remember what it's called. Rafflecopter, but Rafflecopter is there. Like, it's just a little more difficult to find. And so we don't, have as many entries usually when we do rafflecopter um i'll oh, figure can, it out yeah you can do it on instagram uh yeah i mean it's your account right you can do it through yeah. your page yeah, yeah i'll do it on instagram and then you can just post it on your facebook so that way your readers know and then and i'll point people towards your facebook too so because the whole goal is for us to just for people to get to know you and to be able to meet you so i'll point them from instagram to your facebook and I'll post it on my author shenanigans page too on Facebook. So that way we'll get some crossover because the whole goal of you giving the book away is so people can find you. Right. Um, so we'll do that. And I'll post details on in the show notes and on Instagram and on Facebook. So somewhere in all of this, you can find the details to get entered. Um, 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. It's been really fun chatting, getting to know you. Thank you for your book. It was really good. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Do you have any closing comments or anything? Um, I just appreciate being able to chat with you, Sarah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Melanie. Bye. Melanie, thank you so much for your time and thank you listeners for taking time out of your day to tune in to the Author Shenanigans podcast. My goal is to help you meet your next favorite author. So to check out our current guest, Melanie, or anyone else who's been on the show, just go to authorshenaniganspodcast.com and you will see everyone listed, listed out with a brief bio, their newest books and links to their website and where you can find their books. Um, I also want to take a second to send out a huge congratulations to Elise Kova, who was on the show a few months back. Her latest book release made it into the top 20 of Amazon's bookstore. Y'all, that is insane. There's like millions of books on Amazon. So I am so happy for you, Elise. Congratulations. Y'all have a great day and go read some books. <laughs>